All right, good morning. Um, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. You may be wondering, um, why are we taking time to preach a sermon? Well, two things for you. First of all, it's going to be a shorter sermon, so you're not going to be here all day. Second of all, as I try to get my water bottle open with this, we believe that God's Word is central to the life of the church. And so even in a day where we have a lot going on, we believe that the preaching of God's Word is important for our lives, for the life of the church. So I have a question for you as we look into God's Word this morning. Do you know God? Do you know God? God and His Word in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 9, says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, and let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Jesus in John 17 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In Philippians, Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's clear in the scriptures that knowing God is important. Knowing God is critical to each and every one of our lives. And so the question is, if knowing God is important, how do we know God? How do we deepen our knowledge of God? How do we grow and increase our knowledge of God? Well, we'll see here in our text in Ephesians chapter 1, and you can turn there right now with me. Ephesians chapter 1. We've been studying Ephesians for the past few weeks. We've seen that in Ephesians 1, God has given us all these spiritual blessings so that we might know him. And in today's text, we're going to see how do we know God. So Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll start reading in verse 15. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. We'll pause right there. We'll see, Paul is transitioning from a time of teaching to a time of prayer for the saints in Ephesus. But we can look at this and know Paul's praying, yes, for people back then, but this is also a prayer for us, for those of us who are followers of Christ, for the saints right now. Paul is praying this prayer for us. What is he praying? Well, he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. See, Paul is praying that God would give us spiritual wisdom and revelation, spiritual understanding. So we go back to our question, how do we know God? Well, first off, we know God through spiritual understanding that only he can give. You see, in verse 17, it's God who gives us spiritual wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. See, apart from God... We're blind to his heart-changing truth. We, we see this illustrated in the next verse, the first line of the next verse, verse 18. It says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Paul's giving us a picture of what our souls are like apart from God. We're, we're spiritually in the dark. We're spiritually blind. We need someone else to turn the lights on for us so that we can see the truth. 
We need someone else to open our blind eyes to the truth of his word so that we can know him. Apart from God, we are blind to his heart-changing truth. See, it's always been, from the beginning, it's always been by God and his grace that we know anything about him. For those of us here this morning that are followers of Christ who have expressed faith in the gospel, the reason we did that is because God opened our eyes to the gospel. God opened our eyes so that we might see the truth, understand the truth, and then believe the truth, and then obey the truth that he's given us in the gospel. From the beginning, we've known God by his grace. We sang about that earlier, amazing grace. I once was blind, but now I see. It's a gift of God that we know anything about him. What Paul is teaching us here is that we need God to know God. We need God to know God. If God doesn't step in and infiltrate our soul and open our eyes to spiritual realities in his word, we will not know him. So what does that mean for us? How do we apply that truth to our lives? How does that affect the way we live our lives? Well, there's a really practical application for all of us here. See, God has revealed himself primarily through his word. So when we think about knowing God, we know God through the truth of his word. And so when we open up his word, there's one thing that each one of us can do before we read his word. We can pray and ask the Lord to give us understanding. God, would you help me to understand what you're teaching us in this text of scripture? Some of you might be here and perhaps you haven't read the Bible very much. Maybe you're not super experienced in, in reading the Bible. Maybe you're a new Christian. And sometimes it's intimidating because when you open it up, it's difficult to understand. Our temptation might be to think, if I only had a little bit more education, if I only had a little bit more training, then I would be able to understand the things. And while training and education is super helpful, the first thing that we need is for God to help us understand the spiritual realities he's given us in his word. If you're here and perhaps you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe you're a seminary student, maybe you have a seminary degree, maybe you've just been reading the Bible for a long, long time, don't rely solely on your intelligence. We can't rely solely on our training. We must remember that spiritual truth comes to us because God has given us understanding. God has illuminated our minds to understand his word. So each time we go to his word, whether it's in our own reading of the word, whether it's before a Sunday morning sermon, whether it's before community group when we discuss the word, we can pray, God, help me to understand what you have for us in your word. So we know God through spiritual understanding that only he can give. But sometimes we may be unclear on specific ways that we can grow in our knowledge of God. You know, sometimes when we talk about knowing God, it's a little out there, right? I remember I was talking to a friend one time um, who is a non-Christian, and I, I, used the, I, I used the sentence that I know God. And he looks at me kind of funny. He's like, well, you don't really know God, right? So sometimes that's the way we think. How, you know, what are the specific ways we actually know God who is spirit, someone who we don't see right in front of us? What are specific ways that we know God more deeply? Well, we're going to see three of those ways as, as we continue in the text. So verse 18 says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So we know God more deeply first by knowing the hope to which he has called us. And we have to ask the question, what is that hope to which he has called us? Well, that hope is the certain expectation that God's great plan of redemption will be fully realized in Christ. Our hope is the certain expectation that God's great plan of redemption will be fully realized in Christ. We see Paul has talked about that earlier on in Ephesians with Christ uniting all things in himself. We see it later in chapter 1 where Christ is ruling as God has subjected all things under him and he rules all in all. He fills all in all. Our hope is that God's great plan of redemption will be fully realized in Christ. See, as followers of Christ, it's really important to understand that everyone has hope in something, right? The world has its hopes. That hope can be in family. It can be in success. It can be in money. It can be in relationships. Whatever it might be, the the world is hoping in something. But as followers of Christ, we can celebrate the fact that our hope is real, We know that as we go through difficult times, we don't have to construct meaning for what our trials are bringing. We know that we have a real, concrete hope in Christ. We know that our hope is certain. There's many things in this world that are uncertain, right? The old saying, the only thing certain in this world are death and taxes. Everything else is uncertain. But we know as followers of Christ that God will bring to pass everything he has promised. He's been doing it since the beginning of time, and he will continue to do it for us. Our hope is eternal. Our hope is not in someone who died and never came back to life. Our hope will last not only in our life, but in the life to come. It is a forever kind of hope in Christ. And our hope is life-changing. Brothers and sisters, for each and every one of us who have believed the gospel, our lives have been changed. See, when we know God, knowing God is more than just about knowing facts about God, knowing theological things about God, although knowing part of that, part of knowing God is knowing facts about him. But when we know God, we read his word and our hearts have been changed. We've believed the gospel. It's changed the way we believe. It changes the way we act. It changes the way we talk. It changes our lives. It changes our lives so that when we go through difficult times, when we go through times of suffering, we have hope in someone who has saved us, someone who is making all things right. See, knowledge of God changes the way we live our lives. So we know God more deeply by knowing the, riches, by, by knowing, uh, by knowing the hope to which he has called us, and we know God more deeply by knowing the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That's the next part of that. But what does that mean? When Paul is saying the riches of his glorious inheritance, what does that mean? I think it's important to notice that he's saying his glorious inheritance, not our glorious inheritance. So so Paul wants us to know what what God's glorious inheritance is, and that inheritance is the church. That inheritance is God's beloved. It's Christ's bride. It's us. It's the prize for which Christ died. And you ever think about the fact that we 
are God's inheritance. The fact that it is God's joy to save his people, and it's his joy to dwell with us forever. It's God's joy to save us, and his joy to dwell with us forever. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means two things. One, it means that you are part of God's glorious inheritance. You are part of God's glorious inheritance. God loves you so much that he sent Christ as a substitute for your sin and my sin so that all who believe would be part of God's inheritance. It means that when we struggle with sin, when we struggle with the guilt and shame of our sin, when we think that God is looking at us like a disappointed father because we've sinned in the same way we've been sinning for all of our lives, we know that God has forgiven us of our sin, that he has called us to be his children, that his love has been set on us from the beginning of the foundation of the world and will always be set on us. We cannot sin enough to make ourselves no longer children of God because we are part of his inheritance. It also means that other Christians are part of God's glorious inheritance. It means that other Christians are part of God's glorious inheritance. And that changes the way we we relate to brothers and sisters in Christ, right? When we view people not just as another human being, but as someone who God has set his love on, who sent his son to die for them, who's part of his inheritance, it changes the way we think about each other, right? Think of it like this. Uh, Let's say um, you have children and you're picking up your children from school one day and you're talking to some other parents. You wouldn't say to another parent, you know what? I think your kid's a real loser. Yeah. I think your kid's a real piece of work. Yeah. Kid stinks. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't say that to that person because they love their child, right? That would be ridiculous to say. But how often do we speak that way about maybe someone that has really frustrated us lately? How often are we so quick to criticize those who are part of God's body And how slow are we to offer words of blessing and encouragement? See, when we view God's people as part of his glorious inheritance, it changes the way we relate to one another. God calls us to love one another because through our love, the world knows who we are. So God, we we grow, we know God more deeply by knowing the hope, by knowing the riches of his glorious inheritance, and lastly, by knowing the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. Now, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? What is this grand power that's directed toward us? Well, we see an example of it in verse 20. It's the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. See, God has directed that resurrection power towards us, the power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places, he's directed that toward us. And how has he directed that toward us? Well, we actually see it. I'm going to skip ahead to the next chapter. But look in chapter 2, verse 6. Paul uses the same language. God raised us up with him, with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, for those of us who have faith in Christ, who have believed the gospel, we were dead in our sins. 
Just like we were blind to the truth, we were dead. And God, in his power, raised us from our deadness to new life and seated us with Christ. The power that made us a Christian is that power that raised Christ from the dead. We're going to see an example of that later as we look at baptism. Now, baptism is not the thing that saves us, but it's a picture of us being buried with Christ, being dead, and then rising again. It's a, it's an, it's a physical picture of a spiritual reality that has happened in each and every one of us that have faith in Christ to rescue us from our sin. So what does this mean for us? Well, it means that that power not only has it rescued us from sin, but it continues to set us apart from sin. This power helps us to continue to obey the Lord. See, the power that, rose, that, that raised us up, the power that helps us say no to sin is that resurrection power. See, the theme of this, the theme of this text is that we need God's help not only to understand these spiritual realities, but to put these spiritual realities into effect into our lives. When we struggle with temptation, it's not by us just trying a little bit harder, by gritting our teeth. Yes, there's work that we put in. There's sweat we put into obeying the Lord, but it's by his power and his power alone that we can obey and glorify him. We need God to know God. And so it comes back to where we started. Do you know God? Do you know God? If you're here today and you think, I'm not sure if I know God, the, the offering, the invitation is open. God calls each and every one of us to recognize that we're sinful people. We've disobeyed God's commands. But we can turn away from that sin. The big word he uses is we can repent of that sin, turn away from our sin, and turn to Christ. Forsake that sin and believe the gospel. Trust that Christ and Christ alone can save us from our sin. If you're here today, I welcome you. I invite you to believe in Christ. And if you're here today and you do know God, take courage that that will be the rest of our lives. In Habakkuk, God tells us that the whole world will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Our life as a Christian is a life of knowing God more and more deeply. And that knowledge leads to joy, a joy that we will experience for all time. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the power with which you illuminated our minds to understand your word. We thank you for the hope you've given to us, for the inheritance that we are to you, and for the power that you've directed toward us. Lord, we thank you so much for how we will celebrate your life-changing work as we, look, as we observe baptism. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless the rest of our time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.